Alrighty, alrighty, alrighty. We're going to do the inspirational reading at this time, or inspirational moment as we call it. This is that moment of time where we ask ourselves, how has the Lord been moving? What have we seen? What have we heard? What did you read in the Bible this week? What's exciting to you? Or maybe uh, what speaks to you uh, about the last seven days? Uh, and then I will share, to close this time, I'll share about our new six-month emphasis. As you may or may not know, we do emphasize one spiritual discipline for six months at a time. We closed out the spiritual discipline of stewardship with the end of the month of December. We're beginning a new one, which will take us through the end of, end of the month of May. And so uh, that's where we're at. So how, how has God spoken to you this week? What did you see? What did you hear? crazy part is, I kind of shared this with Chris, I have been doing a Bible study, you know there's a lot of good devotionals, if you don't know, check out the version, they have a devotional for everything, and um, I read this devotional, it was like three days, but you know, when people lose someone, we're so quick to say, my condolences, I'm sorry for your loss, they call them the bereaved, and the one deep thing that I read, and I want to share with everybody, um, because you never know when it might, you know, we, we don't know when we're going to lose someone. It's tomorrow's not promised. Um, they kind of explain when you lose someone, especially a Christian, um, you know, you can't call someone bereaved because when you get a job and you're invested in your 401k, they don't call you bereaved when you put your money, when you invest your money in your 401k because you're going to get that back. Um, and so you have to remember our loved ones, our Christian loved ones, our saved family members, we're not losing them. We're investing them into Jesus, and we will see them again. We will get them back as long as we continue to live our life the way we're supposed to. And one of the best scriptures that I got from, I have to, I'm going to ruin your phone. Um, one of the best scriptures that I got from that, um, let's see if I can um, pull it back up. Um, my head is out. One of the best scriptures that I found this week um, with that Bible study was um, is First uh, Thessalonians four uh, verse fourteen, and it says, "For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus." So as long as you continue to believe those loved ones that we invested in Jesus, we will see them again. Amen. So, I know that means a lot to you with what you want to refer to. Okay, who else? Who else? I'm behind you now. I can get to you quickly. 
Right when they're on. You're probably okay right there because you got mics all around you. So let's go. So I know I've shared this verse recently, but uh, I'll share it again for a different purpose this time. Um, in uh, Romans 8:28 says, "And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him." Who have been called according to his purpose. So, as an example, you feel called to do something, but you feel that you don't have the ability or the skill to do said thing. Okay? God loves you, and if you are called according to his purpose, he's going to equip you to do whatever it is that he's calling you to do, regardless of your feelings of your ability or not. One of the things I like to say is... Uh, God equips the called. He doesn't call the equipped. Meaning, he's calling you to a specific task. He's going to make sure that you have everything at your disposal to complete that task. Not the other way around. He's not going to call people who are already have those skills or abilities. Because what kind of miraculous thing would that be? If right. he just called people that already knew how to preach or people who already knew how to play instruments or, or whatever. So continue to seek God in all things. And when something comes up, an opportunity comes up that you think is outside your box, I would strongly recommend that you consider it through prayer and see if this is something that God is calling you to do because he's going to make sure that you have everything at your disposal to do it. So. Yeah, that's a good word. That's a good word. Uh, when I got saved, I got to tell you that it was everything in me to cross the line of the box. And then I've spent all the years since then trying to stay kind of outside the box and do the things that God's called me to do that, not, that I don't necessarily feel comfortable to do. And sometimes it rears its ugly head and I'll fall back in. I, go, oh, I don't want to do that. And maybe I'll be lazy or I'll be weak. But by, you know, then repent, confess unto the Lord, and he strengthens me. And, and he is faithful and just to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I'm grateful that that's true because I need that every day. Um, but that box, it's like it's stalking me, you know. It wants me to, because in my out in my box, I don't talk to you now. I don't preach. I don't teach. I don't talk to strangers. That's my box. And so most of everything that I've been called to do is, is way so far outside the box that I can hardly remember where it's at. But then it's real easy for me to it creeps up on me, and I don't, don't want to stop doing what I'm supposed to be doing. So that's a really good word. Okay, anybody else? All right, so let me share with you. So our spiritual emphasis for the next six months, roughly, and will actually be a little bit less than six months, will be through the last week of May. Um, and so with the Christmas season, our emphasis on the birth of Christ and celebrating that and so on, um, we've, we've held off until the beginning of this week. Today is the beginning of the week, right? We don't celebrate on the seventh day of the week. We celebrate on the first day of the week, the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And so today is the beginning of the week. And we go through our anniversary, which is May 22nd. And so that was the anniversary for the birth of the church, the constitution of the church, and also for the birth of uh, Brother Tony. And so we'll celebrate through that day, and that's the second one's just a coincidence. But anyway, uh, so our discipline will be silence and solitude. Silence and solitude. So very briefly, I'm going to describe to you what it is, um, and... We're not going to get into how to do it. We'll talk about that during our lessons. It'll be in the sermon time. We'll do a little bit more during a special reading later. But not to belabor the point, but silence and solitude. So silence is 
being quiet, when there is no noise or no disruption, no distraction, you're not talking, um, and that might be a, a chief thing, you're not talking uh, when silence, okay? Uh, but ideally, no one else is talking, so you're not, uh, you know, in the middle of a conversation, you just stop and be quiet and then and, and try to focus or whatever, while somebody's still yammering at you, maybe about something important, maybe not about something not important. So silence is when there's very little sound. Total silence would be no sound. So that would be not the hum of the lights, not the hum of the heater, uh, not the breathing, not the rustling, not the moving of cloth in the room, uh, not the scratching on the chairs, not the children playing. Total silence is when there is no sound whatsoever. But the silence that Scripture is talking about is something, nothing that will interfere with your ability to focus on God. And then solitude is aloneness. Solitude has that same beginning of the root word solo. Uh, sol means alone, oneness, uh, independent, apart. And so you have to get away. To, to have solitude, you have to get away from people. So with people, you can have silence. You can be with other people and have silence. And yet sometimes, especially non-believers, will have a moment of silence. During that moment of silence, we should be talking to and listening to God. So they may not be because they don't believe in God or they don't, they're not there in their relationship. But during what, somebody has a moment of silence, we should be talking to and listening to God. Not necessarily talking out loud, because then that would be breaking the silence. But in our minds, directing our attention to the Lord and listening to the Lord. And in solitude, you cannot do that with other people. You cannot even go... Now, a man and a woman who are married and have a good, healthy relationship in their marriage could theoretically do it together because they are generally considered one person. Okay, so you could go away with your spouse and have solitude. That is possible. Um, although, because both people are still humans, it is also challenging, right, to have solitude with your loved one who is your spouse. Um, but solitude is aloneness. Okay, so just for, um, just kind of give you one piece to take with you, Psalm 4610, which says, Be still, and know that I am the Lord, or that I am God. And it is peace in the Lord. What you'll find a lot of times when you try to have silence is that there are other voices that don't come from mouths. It could be your self-talk. You're talking about yourself. Do I look good? Did I do right? Did I do that wrong? How am I going to get my bill paid? Uh, you know, is the heat in the room too warm? Uh, you know, whatever. Did I wear enough deodorant? You know, whatever your self-talk is, those kinds of things. And... Uh, you need to shut that down. It's not silent until you shut that down. And then there's evil spirits as well. The enemy will speak. <clears throat> and usually the enemy will speak things who do either intentionally make you feel bad, so it's clear and obvious that the intent is to make you feel bad, or by a roundabout way to make you feel bad. Okay? And be aware that the enemy, just like I could say to you, um, start a sentence with I, the enemy can do the same thing. So he can speak into your heart or mind saying, I am a bad person. And then you can be confused because you're hearing a voice in your head saying, I am a bad person. So you think you're saying, you think it's you thinking you're a bad person. And so the enemy can do that kind of thing. So silence is when we rebuke our own self-talk and we rebuke the talk of the enemy and we listen only to the voice of God. Okay? And that should be, if you can't rebuke God, tell him not to talk. Um, if we ever did that, we'd, you know, we'd be very, it would be very disrespectful. So silence and solitude. So, one last thing. 
in the interest of understanding the beginning of the pursuit of silence and solitude, we are going to strive as a larger group, not for solitude, because we can't do that together, but for silence for exactly 30 seconds. Okay? So, if you have a young child with you, if you could caution them, we're going to play the silent game for 30 seconds. Okay? We're going to strive for silence for 30 seconds. And during this time, if you hear voices that are not your own in your head, then in your head, or even if you have to whisper out, you better say it out loud, you say, leave me alone in the name of Jesus. Okay? Now, you say it out loud because they can't necessarily read your thoughts. And if you, it's your own talk, then you just shut up inside you. Just keep saying, no, I'm not going to think about that right now. Just let 30 seconds of silence. Here we go. Give it a try. Be still and know that he is God. Beginning now. Okay, awesome. So we know how to do silence. That's amazing. All right. So I hope you had an experience there with the Lord and you were able to shut down some of your self-talk and the other voices in your head. We're going to pray together at this time, proceed with worship, have our tithes and offerings, and, and we'll go to the Word shortly. And I just would encourage you over this six months to begin to learn to practice the spiritual discipline. The discipline means it's a choice you make and something you can get good at. Right? So this one is a choice you make and something you get good at. To begin to practice the spiritual discipline, there's times to be quiet, times to be alone, and, and of course we're not, we don't want to ever be alone without God. We're not trying to get rid of God. We're just drawing, you know, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. So let's pray together and then we'll proceed. Father in heaven, I do thank you so much. You've been uh, very real and very powerful this past week. You've been healing physically, spiritually, psychologically, and emotionally the wounded, You've been loving us. You've been leading us to yourself. You've been blessing our fellowship. You, you lifted people up so that they could lift other people up. Lord, even as we begin to kind of embark on this journey of better using, and that's the exact right word, better using the tool, the discipline of silence and solitude this next six months, we ask you, Lord, to be loud or to be humble, your choice, in the silence when we take those moments. We ask you to teach us what it means to have a prayer closet, to teach us what it means to set aside our many responsibilities and the plaguing schedule that we, we have to just be with you. And the steps that need to be taken and to assure that all the steps that are taken are godly. All the, all the steps that are taking honor you. But as we do it, we do it in a way that will not be harmful or sinful at all. Lord, I ask you to bless the Mitchell family, the Carpenter family, and whatever other last names are involved there at the loss of Earl this last week. Thank you for the good fellowship they were able to have and the time of remembering. And I know that they want to 
those who are of a good heart and we want to honor his memory and be the best people they possibly can be. And just pray that you'll help do that. Help us with our losses. We have other folks in the room who still suffer from the weight, the burden uh, of a loss of a close loved one. And help us, Lord, as we go forward in our service today to give, to serve, to listen, to learn, to grow, to reach new heights of Jesus. We know you have this in mind for us. We're asking for exactly what you want for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank Amen. you, everyone. Time to be quiet. This isn't it. Now's the time to praise the Lord.
you have your quiet times and your stillness, it's good to have a Bible around. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, the band that recorded this song, they've got a, a video that goes with it. It's just their notes and all the Bible verses and stuff he's written down and they have the scrolls up behind. It's pretty awesome. Quiet time, a little singing, a little prayer, and a little Bible reading house. I'm finding myself at a loss for words, and the funny thing is, it's okay. The last thing I need is to be heard, but to hear. When you would say, Word of God speak, when you pour down my grave, washing my eyes to see your majesty, the peace that I know that you're in this place. Please let me
So real quick, I want to share with you that the, the references that you're seeing on the screen, if you're a person who follows along, and I encourage you to do so, the John reference is from John chapter 8, not John chapter 3. However, we will be briefly in John chapter 3 while we're through. And I have two more things to share with you, and then we'll jump into this. Okay? The first thing is, I want you to understand that when I began this sermon, um, preparing for this sermon, which I really did on Tuesday, um, I thought, man, it's going to be simple and easy, and I love this topic, and it's uh, something I've talked about before. But by the time I was through, I discovered that there was much more here than meets the eye. Okay? And so uh, you'll need your thinking caps. You'll need to be prepared to listen to what God has to say, and I hope I will do a good job of conveying what I've discovered. I hope. Um, the second thing is we're going to do a little object lesson. So I need two people, two young people preferably, who would volunteer to come up here uh, and play a little game. Rebecca and Aaron. Okay, so we're going to play the world's smallest game of tag. Okay, the boundaries are right here at the chairs, can't go past that. Right here at the edge of the door here, and right there at the edge of the door there. Okay, that's the entire field for tag. All right, so we're going to start. Becca's it, and tap backs are allowed. Go! Stop! Who's it? I think it's me. Okay. Aaron thinks it's him. What do you think? Could you tell? Okay. Go ahead and see. Thank you very much. Kind of hard to tell, isn't it? If you play tap backs or allowed and you play with somebody who's pretty quick to tap you back, sometimes it's hard to tell whether you're it or they are. You feel that tap and you're like, you're pretty sure. But somebody else is watching and they're not sure. So you get in there and tap back real fast like that. And then both people run and everybody's going, who's it? Who's it? Because they're all trying to run from the person that's it. So I want you to bear that in mind as we look at the text today. I'm going to share a little story with you. Years ago, I was in fourth grade, and I fell madly in love with a young girl who was in my class. She was not my first love. I fell madly in love the first time in kindergarten. I was an early bloomer. <laughs> anyway, uh, she, was a, she was cute. She was short. Might have been what mostly made her cute. Um, she was shorter than everybody in our class by at least a foot. She had long hair. And I used to try to catch her eye, try to get her attention, try to get her favor. And I'd bring her little gifts and say positive things. And once I gave her a little necklace, my mom gave it to me so I could give it to her. She was starting to get a little creeped out at the time, so she didn't receive it too positively. Um, but then we went out to recess, and one of the boys in our class who was easily a foot taller than me, and he was athletic, very athletic and strong, and everybody thought he was that, uh, took the necklace, and he ran. He was playing keep away from her. And while I thought at first that she didn't really care about the necklace, all of a sudden she was pretty worked up about that necklace and not having it. And so she called on a couple of the other boys in the class to get the necklace back. She called on some girls who were her friends, and they had this whole passel of people chasing him around trying to get this necklace back while she was sort of walking along behind crying. And I thought, oh, man, here's my chance. And I leapt on my high horse, and I charged that big boy down who was faster than me and stronger than me, and I tackled him to the ground, and I broke him. And he lay there, and he bawled like a baby. And I thought, I am the hero. I am mighty. I have conquered him. And then I got in trouble with the teachers, and I thought, well, at least I succeeded. I got the necklace back, and I gave it back to her. And I got in trouble with the teachers, and I had to sit the rest of recess. And then we went in, she walked over to me, and she scolded me badly. 
for hurting him and said that was not right. And, uh, and I said, I don't understand. And she just walked away. And that was the end of, the, of our long love affair. And uh, it was pretty obvious to me that she didn't like me, even though I had gotten back for her that which no one could get back for her. What if you didn't want to be free? In the Bible, in Exodus chapter 21, there's a passage of Scripture. I threw that one at you fast so that no one would hoot and holler because it's not our target. But I want you to hear what it says. Exodus chapter 21, verses 5 and 6. It says, But if the, pl- the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out as a free man. Then his master shall bring him to God, or the phrase that's there actually doesn't necessarily mean God, God or God's representative. It's talking about bringing him to the court or to the high priest or whatever. It says, shall bring him to God. Then he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost of his house. And his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, which is a little spike that you use, kind of a painful process, but more painful than today getting your ears pierced, but not, you know, horrible. And he shall serve him permanently. And I ask you to think for a moment, what are some reasons that a slave would not want to be set free? Well, some are contained in the text. He might have a wife and children. And if he has a wife and a child, if the master, the the text says, if the master provided the wife and the child for him, and he goes free, the wife and the child stays with the master because they they belong, they're his property. So he'd have to leave his wife and children. And so if he loved his wife and children, either emotionally, psychologically, uh, if he felt responsible for them, for their safety or for their care, he would want to stay. He wouldn't want to be set free. If his master was a just and kind master, and he thought, well, I have to go out in the world and fend for myself, and it would be uncomfortable to go out and fend for himself, well, then he might not want to be set free. Uh, maybe he's living in a good house with plenty of supplies, doesn't have, doesn't have to get a job, doesn't have to pay his own bills, and so it seems like it's easier, it's less work to stay there than to be set free. So there, there might be other reasons as well. But if the master is a bad master, and he has beat him, and he has hurt him, whatever, he'd be better to go free, even if his wife and children were not able to go free, so that he could go earn the money, so that he could buy his wife and children and set them free. Right? This is the only chance they have. They're never going to be free from this evil master unless he goes and does the work himself No one is going to set them free. And if he has a bad master, then even if he lives in a good house with plenty of supplies, he's probably ill-treated and doesn't have access to the good things. And so there there would be plenty of reason to want to go free. So it has to be an all-around good situation to not want to be set free, doesn't it? I wish that were so. I want you to imagine in your mind for a moment two gray blobs. They don't have legs, they don't have tails, they don't have heads, they don't have faces. They're not cute little animals, they don't have smiley faces like a little gray ball emoji. But I want you to imagine for a moment two gray blobs, and one of the gray blobs is chasing the other gray blob around, and occasionally punishes it or stomps it into the ground. And then suddenly the situation is reversed, and the other gray blob chases the first one around for a while and occasionally stomps it into the ground. They're playing a game of cat and mouse because one occasionally gets the upper hand or seems to, the game never quits. The title of the sermon is, Why Would Someone Not Want to Be Free? 
Or what if someone didn't want to be free? But it could very easily be entitled Be the Cat Blob. Be the Cat Blob. There's a thing called Stockholm Syndrome in one of my favorite spy movies of all time. The spy breaks in, defeats all the villains, frees the victim, and then turns to fight the way out to get the victim out, and the victim shoots him in the back. Stockholm Syndrome is when those who are captive begin to sympathize with those who have them captive. They begin to think there's a kind of a love or a desire to be with that person, even to the point that they will resist being freed. It's a real thing. <coughs> and now, this is the key text, I think, today. And if you would go there with me, maybe say amen, hoot, holler, shout, yell, Yahtzee, I don't know. Don't say uno because it's not the only text, but you can say uno if you want. It's okay. John chapter 8, verse 32. Amen. Dose. Dose. There you go. It's a new version of uno. There you go. Dose. It says this, and I'm actually reading uh, from, the, from 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. So, to be clear of the players here, Jesus, who was the Son of God in the flesh, knew the heart of God and the desire to bring people to himself, said to the Jews who were there, they were Jews, which means they were the chosen people of God, expecting the Messiah, expecting God to work on their behalf, expecting God to free them, right? But not just Jews, they believed in Jesus. So, to the Jews who believed in Jesus... Now this is getting to be a fairly smaller group out of the larger group, right? To the Jews he believed in Jesus, he says these following statements. If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. In other words, if you continue in the teachings that I have taught, and he was teaching the word of God, the Old Testament, what it meant, and then he was teaching how to live it out, the application, the wisdom that extends from the Old Testament. So, then are ye my disciples indeed. In other words, then are you my followers. A disciple is somebody who believes the teachings of a teacher and then can teach the teachings of a teacher, live out, apply the teachings of that teacher. And he goes on to say, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make ye free. Now before we go any further, I want you to see this. This is huge. Okay? They're about to have a problem with what he said. But their problem with what he said is not in the being a disciple. You get it? It's not like they were willing to be his disciple. They, had, they were Jews who had believed in him. They were willing to be his disciple. But then he qualifies being his disciple as continuing in his word. And I submit to you that they were willing to continue in his word. Except he says... And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And now they have a problem. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and we're never in bondage to any man. In other words, we've been free our whole lives. We've never been owned as slaves. And we submit only to God. That's what they say. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? See, they don't have a problem with being a disciple. They don't have a problem with continuing in his word. I'm going to submit to you, they don't even think they have a problem with knowing the truth. But they nitpick the one thing that they have a problem with when he says they are not free. 
<coughs> Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, in other words, this is absolutely true, absolutely true, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. So herein lies the problem. People lie, and they are now the servant of that lie, or the, of the sin that they do. They are stuck. They have a master, someone in control of them. So they did have a master, you see? But they deny that they have a master, but they did have a master because they had sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Jesus said, And the servant abideth not in the house forever. In other words, this is a temporary state. But the son abideth ever. In other words, forever. Continuing. Ongoing. If the son therefore make you free, ye shall be free indeed. In other words, if I make you free, you will be free indeed. So we could say of them that maybe they don't get it. They don't understand. They're ignorant. They don't understand that in sinning against God, they have become captive to the sin that they sinned. That would be probably the nicest way of observing them if you were going to. But they have believed Jesus. They have believed in Jesus and of Jesus at this point in time. And so what I submit to you is that it's not so much that they are ignorant that they don't see that they have sin and that sin captivates a man, but that they are unwilling to be free, unwilling to transition from where they are in their sin to where Jesus wants them to be. <clears throat> we'll see a few points first, and then I'll give you the evidence of how we know that to be true. The first thing I want you to see in here is that there are two types of people. Jesus is making a shift. He's, making a he's drawing a line in the sand. There are two types of people. There are non-followers, and the fact is that non-followers of Jesus are in bondage. They are slaves. They are servants. You do what you do because you have done it. You are who you are, trapped in what you have done. Even as a believer... I can sit and think about times that I have done things that I knew, I know now were wrong, and I can feel those things encroach upon me. Surely you've been sitting, uh, sipping a cup of coffee or watching a TV show or whatever, and you wind up daydreaming, thinking about what you said or did, the evil that you've done, and that impresses upon you the kind of person that you are. Or... You tell a lie, and you seem to get away with it, and it gets you what you want. And now you know you can do that. That is a capability that you have. Like a child learns to walk or learns to talk, you are capable of telling a little lie and getting what you want. And so now you are equipped, and you know you are equipped to do that thing again. And so the road will open up again. And you will have to make a choice again. And when it seems prudent to do so, you will lie again. Notice what I said. When it seems prudent to do so, when it seems like wisdom to do so. It's not wisdom to do so, because as long as you allow yourself that, let's call it a luxury, or that avenue, you will always have that avenue as an option. And as long as you have it as an option, then that's the kind of person that you are. A liar. You say, no, no, I only lied once. If you lie and keep the avenue open that you can do it again, then you are a liar. 
Even if you say, well, I haven't lied in 10 years. If you're keeping the avenue open again to do it again, then you are a liar. There are two types of people. Non-followers. The non-followers, they are, according to Jesus, they are in bondage. They do what they do because they have done it before. The question is, do they do what they do because they want to? Do they do it because they're afraid of being something different? Do they continue because they are comfortable in their certain situation? We were doing street ministry over on Platte Street, and I knocked on a woman's door, and uh, we were doing fumble forward. So the idea was to say, you know, we have a new church. We, we think somebody might be interested in getting involved in the new church. Might you be one? She said, maybe. She, I said, can we tell you what we believe? And I explained the gospel to her. And in my explanation of the gospel, I used the word trust. And she said, well, now, see, here's the rub. I can't come to Jesus... I can't follow Jesus because I've had so many experiences in my life with people betraying me. My husband cheated on me with another woman and eventually left me, left me in a rut. I lost my house. Then they sued, took my kids away, whatever. So many people have betrayed me that I cannot trust. I have a hard time trusting anyone. And I explained to her, and I said, I understand that. And I, have, I don't trust humans in general. I might trust them with minor things or... Uh, I might trust what they say until I know that they can't, things like that. But I don't generally trust people, but you can trust Jesus. Because Jesus is there for you even beyond death, even unto a new life, even unto you, with every moment of every day, he'll be there. And he keeps all of his promises. You can trust Jesus. And she said, you say that, but I am standing here as a person today and I am telling you, I cannot trust. Not any person or Jesus. And I said, by that, do you mean you cannot believe in Jesus? You cannot accept that Jesus paid the price for your sins and that he wants something better for you? And she said, yes, I believe that's, that's what I'm saying. And I would probably normally not have done this, but I felt the Spirit prompt me at that time. And I said, well, I'm sorry to say if that truly is, I don't believe that's true. I believe that a fresh start in Jesus would allow you to trust. But if that's true, if you are absolutely correct, then you cannot be saved if what you're saying is true. I don't believe it is, but if it's true, you cannot be saved. So what I'm asking you to do is to continue to be open to the possibility that you do still have the ability to trust and you could trust Jesus for salvation. She didn't get saved that day. I don't know if she ever did. I'm telling you as an illustration, understand that some people, because of what they have experienced, because of what they think is true, they have, they're comfortable in their present spot or maybe they're not comfortable, but they fear moving off of that spot because they cannot trust, or they think they cannot trust. And then, of course, there's ignorance. Some people are part of the non-follower group because they do not know. This is our bread and butter, by the way. This is where we go and we explain to them the truth, and they go, you know, that's interesting. I, I guess I've sort of always known that to be true in my heart, but I've never experienced it personally. And they accept Jesus right away. As soon as they know the truth, they know what God has done and that forgiveness of sins is available now, the remittance of sins is available because of the sacrifice of Christ, they accept. That's our bread and butter. Those are the easy people to reach. And because of that, some people just don't try to reach people at all because they can't find those people and they're afraid of what the other people are going to do. The second group is followers. Some folks 
believe in Jesus and they pursue righteousness, they live out their lives trying to be a follower of the Lord, even though we get our righteousness from Jesus, to pursue righteousness is to try to do what's right. And they do that. And according to what Jesus is saying here, those people experience freedom. They're finally set free. But notice that it's in the sanctification, not in the salvation. Now we've got to stop because of the big kind of yucky Christian words. Sanctification is that word that means from the moment you believe, you continue to reach new heights in Jesus, hence the slogan of our church, if you will. You continue to reach new heights in Jesus, and in the new steps and the new heights and the growth that you experience, God reveals new things in you. He gifts you in new ways. He makes you stronger. He grows you. And in that growth, according to Jesus, not my words, but his words, because what he said was, if you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They were already believing in Jesus. So in this group, there are those who believe in Jesus, continue in his word, and find freedom. But notice that there are also those, because they were those who believe in Jesus, do not continue in his word, or stumble in his word, if you want to say that, and they do not find freedom. That's tough. When I was living up in Michigan in the early days, and we were driving back and forth to Toledo all the time, we were serving at East Toledo Baptist Church, I started gaining a little bit of weight. Pretty soon, for the first time in my life, I, I weighed over 210 pounds. That never happened to me before. And then as I realized that was happening, I started to try to take some steps and whatever, and I felt like I, I mean, it just really felt like I didn't have any energy and stuff, and so that kind of was a clue. Now I look back, and I remember there was a day. I, there was a day when I went into my closet. Our bedroom up there had a little closet off there. There was a window you could see in the backyard, see the kids playing in the closet. And the, the, the boys that lived in the house before us used to go up in the window up there, and the neighbor used to pay him $5 a head for them to shoot the rodents in his garden with their pellet guns. Uh, so you go see his garden, see the back garden like that. So, and it was well lit. I walked in the closet, all my clothes were hanging there. And I pulled off a pair of jeans because we were hanging up on pretty much all our clothes because it was a big closet. And I put, pulled off a pair of jeans, I went to put them on, and it didn't fit so good. It was one of my favorite pairs of jeans. But they didn't fit so good. And I just said, no, I'm not going to wear these jeans today. I never thought a thing of it, put them back on the hanger. And I, picked, I took my relaxed fit pair of jeans put them on. Oh, that's good. Now that was the day. That was the day in which I transitioned from, I'm gaining a little bit of weight and I got to do some work to, I'm okay with this little bit of weight that I'm gaining and, I, and I'm not ready to start doing any work yet. I'm here to tell you today that there are relaxed, fit Christians. And I'm not talking about obesity, I'm not talking about weight, I'm talking about sanctification, growing in the Lord. There are Christians who say, no, I don't have to do that extra work. I don't have to jog my schedule around or get a new job or situate my appointments to make sure I make it to Bible study or small group or I'm in church on Sunday. And you say, some of them will say, no, I'm hardworking. That's why I'm not available to do X. Listen, the hard work that we are called to is the hard work of following Jesus Christ. And I'm not harping on the work thing because it could be relationships. It could be hobbies. There's lots of folks who have lots of hobbies, right? Where they have one hobby that they're really excited about pouring their lives into. 
There are things in our lives that begin to interfere with our discipline, with our intentionality to follow Jesus. And on that day, when we, we sense or feel that interference, we say, well, it's okay. I'll read my Bible on my own. I don't have to gather together with other believers. Oh, yeah, I'm going to miss just one sermon today. But it's just one sermon, right? Or I'm going to miss this one opportunity to serve because I've got this other thing over here. Now, if your salvation and your freedom were contingent on that one choice, you would never make that one choice, right? Or would you? Are you more comfortable with living your life your way and what fits your personality and maybe even your flesh, and you're okay with missing a few sermons, a few lessons, a few opportunities to serve, a few opportunities to give? Well, that's real dangerous stuff. Because what's online is certainly nothing other than your freedom. See, it's freedom when you can say, here's a person over here who would give me $100,000 to miss Tuesday night Bible study, and it's only an hour, and it's just one lesson, and the pastor told me he'll give me the notes afterwards. And you can say, no, this is how much I love God. I'm going to that Bible study. I'm taking my own notes. I'm going to listen to the Holy Spirit while I'm there. I will not back down. I will stand up for Jesus, or as... Uh, uh, was it Bob Dylan once said, you stand me up against the gates of hell and I will not back down. Not for $100,000. Not ever, not once. Now that's freedom. Because we are driven by everything else. We are motivated by everything else. But when you can make a choice to honor God above all, you're free. You say, well now, if I have to honor God above all, then I'm not free. Well, that's true. But this is the beauty of salvation. God gave us salvation and gave us the option. You can be saved or not. That's up to you. You can be free or not. That's up to you. You can pursue righteousness or not. That's up to you. God is not forcing you. However, there will come in a moment in time at which, and this transition into my next point, there will come at a moment in time at which God will have those with him who have chosen to be with him and God will have those away from him who have chosen to be away from him. And even if you think you're free now and choose not to follow God, in that moment you will not be free. Why? Because you will have another master which persists only for as long as it's in the house. All right. So, just to be clear, there are followers and non-followers. Amongst the non-followers, there are those maybe who are ignorant, those who want to stay because they're comfortable, those because of fear, they find it hard to trust, etc. Amongst the followers, there are those who pursue righteousness and pour themselves into following the Lord. And there are those relaxed fit followers who are like, well, as long as it's fairly convenient, or I'll push really hard, but if I have to bleed or really sweat or really suffer, no, that's the line. Notice that Jesus is talking about a moment of restarting that decides your group. It's not if you have encountered the truth, right? It's whether or not you believe. And then he says to Nicodemus, you know who Nicodemus was, I hope. If not, I'm about to tell you. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, a holy man. Fasted twice a week. That means he went completely without food on those days. Memorized whole books of the Bible and was in high demand in speaking. And Jesus, he comes to Jesus and Jesus tells him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Do not marvel, he says four verses later, that I say unto you that you must be born again. 
as holy as he was, he had to be born again. That is to say that everybody starts out in the non-follower group and it takes a fresh start to get in the follower group. And I'm going to say to you that if you've received that fresh start, then you're in the follower group and you know enough not to be a relaxed fit follower. You understand the payment that was paid. Thank God Jesus was not a relaxed fit follower of his father or we'd all be unsaved. Sin would not be paid for. But for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And that's paraphrased and shortened. Being reborn may appear harder than we would like. Maybe more painful than we would like. But it is a step toward freedom. Now, I, I, know, I know you want it to be freedom. And in a sense it is. But you have to learn how to live out that freedom. You have to follow the word and you have to be disciplined. That's what Jesus said. <coughs> this rebirthing may hurt a little. But you have to let go and accept this free gift. It's about trust. Getting born hurts. If, if, you, if you could somehow communicate to any unborn baby the experience about what they're about to go through before they come out of the birth canal, they would say, no, I don't want to go through that. Their bones are virtually liquefied and they're squeezed through a space that's about 40% too small for their existence. Anybody here want to go through that? No. That doesn't sound pleasant. But God isn't inviting us to pleasant. He's inviting us to a salvation that saves our souls and a freedom that sets us free and then in eternity, pleasant. Getting born hurts. It hurts most because we are not calibrated to the new environment yet. Babies come out, they're cold. They've got to learn to breathe. They're going to have to learn to walk. They've got to be cared for. They can't do things they had a cord attached to them a moment before, and now that's gone. They can't crutch on it anymore. The following of Jesus leads to the truth. Wisdom applied. And the truth sets free. Wisdom applied. Disciples are free, but freedom is for disciples who are disciples. And continuance, which is wisdom applied continuing, is the main trait of a disciple. I wonder if the Jews who were there knew what we're talking about today, that wisdom is just that valuable, that wisdom provides that kind of freedom. If you're following along in your Bibles, go with me to Proverbs chapter 2. This is a book of the Bible that they would have memorized most of it, if not many of the entire Proverbs for sure, if not the entire book. <clears throat> I am not going to break these verses down as I read them because there's quite a few of them. I would encourage you to read them and study over them later. They are pretty straightforward. The writer of Proverbs writing says, My son, if you will receive my sayings, in other words, the wisdom that I'm teaching you, and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to my wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, and if you really want to know the difference, lift your voice for understanding. When you cry out, that's what you want, wisdom and understanding. If you seek her as silver, in other words, if, if wisdom is a treasure to you, and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord. And discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. I mean, that means he doesn't give it to everybody. He gives it to those who are pursuing righteousness. You hear? He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Integrity is when your whole being is wrapped up around one thing and it's a good thing. Guarding the paths of justice 
and he preserves the way of his godly ones. Then you will discern righteousness and justice. You will understand the difference between in righteousness and injustice, and equity and every good course. For wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you. Now we're getting safety. Remember, we're feared to come into the kingdom because we're afraid we're going to be unsafe, because it's dangerous. That's what fear is all about. And he says, discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you. To deliver you from the way of evil, it's going to bring us out and make us free. From the man who speaks perverse things. From those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. Who delight in doing evil and rejoice in the perversity of evil. Whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. He's going to free us from being that. Freeing us, free us from being trapped in that. To deliver you from the strange woman. From the adulteress who flatters with her words. That leaves the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her tracks lead to the dead. None who go to her return again. In other words, once you go over to unrighteousness, over to something that is not godly wisdom, you can't come back. Not that God makes it so you can't come back, but you choose not to come back. Nor do they reach the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of good men and keep to the paths of righteousness, of, of the righteous. For the upright will live in the land and the blameless will remain in it. What did Jesus say? That the servant is in the house only for a while, but the son is in the house forever. And he said, and whom the son sets free will be free indeed. The up, I'm 21. For the upright will live in the land and the blameless will remain in it, but the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be uprooted from it. A little bit further. My son. Do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For the length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. and Do not lean on your own understanding. We quote that verse all the time, but we forget it's in this context. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be the healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves. That means he corrects those who he loves. And when things go bad for us, sometimes that's the correction of God. Even as a father, the son in whom he delights. How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For its profit is better than the profit of silver and its gain than fine gold. And it goes on. They knew. It's no joke. They totally understood that wisdom would lead to all of these benefits. Wisdom applied, not just wisdom. And that's a problem, because if you look at the Pharisees and the Sadducees of their day, they were teaching the word of God, but what did Jesus say about them? He called them hypocrites. There are people who say it's the right thing to do, but then they don't do the right thing to do. They were hypocrites. 
But these are hypocrites who then believed in Jesus. And so their holdout was they needed to live the wisdom applied in Jesus. They could not come to Jesus and just be relaxed, fit Christians. That might get them into heaven one day if their salvation was real, if they truly had believed. But it wouldn't get them free. And Jesus came to set them free. We're in the conclusion. But it's a doozy. This was a chosen people, God's people, the nation of Jews, and now they were hearing the truth and having a hard time embracing it because they were in bondage to their own sin. And if you can understand it, that had to be because, because they wanted it that way. Because they had already believed in Jesus. They didn't really want to be free because they were comfortable where they were. And they would accept Jesus as long as Jesus would fit in where they were. But Jesus doesn't fit in in the world system ever. He was not of this world. Just like we're supposed to be not of this world. So when we believe him, we become not of this world as he was not of this world. We suffer outside the gate with him. Now, he's not condemning them for their choice. He is explaining the ramifications of their choice and explaining that another choice would be the one to free them if they stick with it in Christ. So if you're here today and you're a relaxed, fit Christian, I'm not condemning your choice. However, there are ramifications for that choice. You have to examine everything in your life and how it lines up with Jesus. And if you don't, if you don't give him the reins, You won't be free. In this lifetime, you will not be free. And that's not my words, that's Jesus' words. And it's not, if you don't want to be free, if you can't muster the strength to be free, if you can't follow Jesus in earnest with all that you are, if you can't make the necessary sacrifices, the only real danger is, if that's what your salvation looks like, then are you saved? And that's a decision to be made between you and God, not with me. It's not about what I say. Truth is, it's not about what you say. It's about what he says. So if you're saved but not free, understand that there's a substantial possibility it's because of choices that you are making. If you won't choose, if you say, well, I'm just not going to make a choice about that, then realize that you've already chosen. Those verses that we referenced in John chapter 3, we'll go there just briefly and we're almost done. Some folks memorize John chapter 3, verse 16 as a fairly famous Bible verse. You'll see it on placards at football games and things like that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And that's the truth. If you believe in Jesus, you will have everlasting life, eternal life. You will go to heaven and be with God forever when the time comes. And verse 17 is the verse that talks about that uh, Jesus didn't come, God did not send the Son, into the world to judge the world, but that the world would be saved. Through him, through Jesus. Verse 18 then says, He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already. In other words, he who believes in Jesus is not judged. But if you don't believe in Jesus, you've already been judged. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. 
Anybody ever watch one of those shows on TV where they do like the, they rap at each other or they sing? So you know what a mic drop is, right? That's it. That settles it. Drop the mic. It's all over. It's a relatively new thing. When you drop the mic, you're done and you've proven your point. Well, this is Jesus' mic drop. Because he's talking to Nicodemus, and in verse 20 it says, I'm sorry, in verse 22 it says, after these things Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea. So it's done. So we're about to read Jesus' mic drop. And he said, and this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men loved the darkness rather than the light. For their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be manifested, that means made obvious, as having been wrought, which means done or worked, in God. I'll read that last one again. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be manifest as having been wrought in God. Jesus came into the world. The people who should have known him, they did not. In John 1, 11 to 14, it says this, He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus' mic drop was, I came. I did it. I showed it. You've seen it. It's settled. It's done. Now, when you're not choosing me, don't kid yourself. You're not not choosing me because you're afraid. You're not not choosing me because you can't trust because you're wounded. You're not not choosing me because you don't understand. You're not choosing me either at the moment of salvation or after that as a relaxed, fit Christian because you think you're the cat. You think that right where you are right now, you're in charge. That you're bigger than the enemy right now, right where you are, non-Christian. Or that you're bigger than me as a believer, that you get to decide, that you get to decide whether or not you come, go, pay, die, whatever. You think you're the cat. And sometimes you get the upper hand which reinforces you thinking you're the cat because God made you incredible. God made you able to stomp on the head of the enemy even without me. God made you able to do amazing things, create and destroy. But in me, those things are refined and the image of God is perfected and you can do even more amazing things. So there are those who go, oh, my image is messed up, so I accept the redefinition. Then I get over here and they mess up their image again on a fairly regular basis because they refuse to be free because they refuse to continue to apply the wisdom of God on a daily basis. Because they think they're the cat. Remember the two blobs? They think they're the cat blob. But I'm here to tell you today the same thing that Jesus was here to tell you, and that is that if you're still wrestling with whether Jesus is real, if you're still deciding whether to follow Jesus to believe in salvation... You understand, you're not the cat blob, you're the mouse blob. And you will run, and you will hide, and you will fight back the best of your ability. But the truth is, as long as you are not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, then the enemy will be after you continually. <coughs> well, but some, some mice live happily ever after. 
some mice hide in the field and no eagle comes to eat them, no fox pursues them, no cat hunts them down. They'll get mowed over and they make babies and they live a, a, an old life. They, they live to be as old as mice ever live and have multiple generations of great, 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 great grandchildren. And we look at those mice and we say, well, but look at those mice. Why shouldn't I be happy as a mouse? Why do I need to rear up and fight back and be something different? Well, I ask you, if the mice live happily ever after, then what happens after that? What happens after happily ever after? If you don't accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then what's after happily ever after is not another happily ever after. And so we live in light of that eternity. But I also submit to you, I've never seen a mouse that lived to old age and wasn't terrified. The mice that live in the field that have great, 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 great grandchildren, they're still watching the skies constantly. They still live in burrows. They don't build big houses or, or like hives or anything. They don't live in huge groups and like have 50 of them living together in a little mouse mansion in the middle of the field because they feel safe and free and happy and are doing a good thing. No, they live their entire life thinking the cat might be coming, the eagle might be coming, the fox might be coming. I've got to stay hidden. They run along walls and never out into the open in the room unless you chase them out with poison or by feeding them psychedelics. Then they'll do that. Otherwise, they stay concealed. And that is not the life that God ordained for you. That is not the kind of person God made for you. He wants us to be more than a conqueror. He wants to be incredible, amazing, world-changing beings. Because nothing less than that will represent him. And we were created to represent him. It's wise to accept Christ. It's wise to follow Christ. It's wise to continue in the wisdom that God has given you to whatever extent that you have it, Paul said, I hold on to that which I have already attained, and that's what you are supposed to do. It's wise to accept Christ. It's wise to follow Christ. It's wise to continue in Christ with discipline and strength to observe the word of God, to pursue wisdom and righteousness, and in so doing, you become the cat blob. And the enemy runs along walls. And the enemy creeps in the darkness. And the enemy fears you. And when the seven sons of Sceva, who were Jews, who might have believed in the name of Jesus, came upon the demon that they tried to cast out of that man, he reared up, and they tried to abjure him, cast him out by the name of Paul or by the name of Jesus. And the demon said, Paul I know, and Jesus I know. But who are you? If they were Christians at all, they were relaxed fit Christians. And they had no power to be free. They were just invoking the name of Jesus and saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. Or invoking the name of God and say, claiming God's authority to cast out that demon. And he didn't let it happen. They thought they were the cat, but they were the mouse. And they came out all beat up and in their underwear. But as a follower of Jesus who pursues God's wisdom and lives his righteousness to the best of your ability, and it's not about perfection, it's doing the best you possibly can on any given day, making the choices, showing up to study, showing up to serve, showing up to work, showing up to, showing up, standing up, being free, being courageous, 
that kind of Christian, according to Jesus, not according to me, knows freedom. True freedom. They are his disciples indeed. And they know true freedom. We are called to nothing less. Unless you think Jesus only died so that people can go to heaven. Then you'd be contradicting Jesus himself because he said, I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. And if you're contradicting the word of Jesus, then are you saved? I'm asking you today to either A, first time believe in Jesus. The penalty has been paid. Remission of sins is available through the penalty that Jesus paid. It's called the propitiation. The bill is paid. Stop trying to pay it. And if you do believe in Jesus, then I'm asking you today to exercise spiritual discipline to make the choices to examine everything from God's point of view, the best you're able, instead of the world's point of view. If you're motivated by a dollar, then you need to understand that your priorities are in the wrong place. If you're motivated by a relationship with a human being, even your spouse, over God, your motivations are in the wrong place. If you're motivated by a job, if any of these things are distraction, well, we know what Jesus said, don't we? I'm about to tell you. Jesus said, friendship with the world is enmity with God. Choose today who will be first in your life. And if you're going to try to make it you, you better realize you're actually the mouse. If you're going to try to make it Jesus, he's going to make you a cat. And the enemy will run. I want to close story. Some years ago when I was a youth pastor, youth minister, there was a young lady who came in and we were counseling with her. She'd been out of church for about a month. Her family was members of the church. And things had drifted badly. She was 14, I think, 13, 14. Both of them used the youth group. And they brought her in to talk to me. I was a relatively young youth minister because she had while wearing combat, who kicked her, mother, her grandmother, who was her guardian, in the face and broke her jaw. What am I going to say? What do you say to a 13-year-old who the night before kicked her grandmother in the face and broke her jaw? Intentionally, not accidentally, intentionally. What do you say? <coughs> so, and I did what I, only what I knew to do, which I started with the gospel. And she was claiming yes. That she believed. She never said the name of Jesus, but she was claiming, yes, she believed. Now, she'd not been coming to Bible study. She wasn't studying her Bible. She wasn't praying. She admitted she hadn't worshipped. God was not first in her life, but she was claiming, yes, she believed. But she never said the name of Jesus. As I'm talking to her, I start getting this eerie feeling that something is desperately wrong. And I was not in the room alone with her. In all my years, I've never counseled in the room alone with a teenage girl. Or if I've done it with a woman, then there's somebody right outside the door. The door open. And I'm talking with her, and I begin to think there's something wrong. And I said, well, how about you say it? You say, I'm a follower of Jesus. And she said, I'm a follower of... I'm a follower. I said, no, no, say, I'm a follower of Jesus. She said, I'm a follower of... I'm a follower. Just like that, just like I'm saying it to you today. And I looked at her, and the space behind her eyes looked so dark, so deep like outer space without stars. Something is wrong. And the Christian woman who was in the room with me was praying the whole time, and, and she sensed it too. Something was desperately wrong. And I said, can't you say the name Jesus? 
And she said, yeah, I can say it. And I said, well, then say it. And she said, <laughs> and I said, well, we're dealing with a problem here. And I'm thinking at first, it's outside me, right? I need an exorcist or something. I didn't know. But I said, in the name of Jesus, I lay my hands on you. And I rebuke the evil spirit that's affecting you. Uh, and I'm setting you free at least to be able to make the choice of what you will do next. Will you in earnest become a follower of Jesus? Will you in earnest be set free? And she said, yes. I prayed a little bit more, and I said, okay, now say it. And she said, I want to be. She said, I am a follower of Jesus. And tears streamed down her face. We spent about another half an hour or so so about another half an hour or so with some action plans, what she was going to do with her house, with her problems that she was having. And we've, we agreed to get together with her grandmother and talk. She committed to writing in a journal and studying her Bible and all of these kinds of things. She said she was a believer. They said they were believers. But she was a relaxed, fit believer. Now, I don't know if she was a believer at all, but by her profession, she was a relaxed, fit believer. And she certainly was not free. She couldn't even say the name of Jesus. Now, that's pretty not free. Now, I'm not saying that's you. I, but if you believe in Jesus, tell everyone who will listen. Because some folks are just ignorant. Encourage people to trust in the Lord. And you trust in the Lord with everything. And you can be free. And that's how I, I get out of bed every day. And I just want to do that. And I'm not saying you're going to be perfect at it. Nobody's perfect at it. I'm certainly not. I blow it all the time. But what I am saying is, it's your choice to be free. If you don't want to, okay. Just realize that none of the excuses make any sense. And the ramifications remain the same. Let me pray for us briefly, and we'll have a song of invitation to close our services. Father in heaven, I do thank you so much for being our God. <laughs> If the price that was paid for our salvation was something less, a million dollars, a thousand lives of ordinary people, then I think relaxed Christianity would make a lot of sense. Do it our way, in any way, howsoever, whosoever. But the price that was paid was must not tread on the memory of Jesus. You know, must not spit on the sacrifice. Lord, please help us more than all. <coughs> Be willing, if necessary, to make whatever sacrifice is necessary. To follow Jesus in earnest. Someone will say, well, I'm not, I'm not following Jesus. I, I like the Christianity better that says, just accept the free gift of salvation and everything will be okay. someone in this room right now not, who's not heard it simply explained or but they just have not committed themselves to you, have not accepted the gift of salvation and started down the road of being free, they've not done that, well they're going to do it right now while I'm praying, they don't need me they don't need anyone else in this room they just need you just touch their hearts call them gently 
started called it Burnley. One of my favorite stories in this room of, of us who was young in the 20s is that I think maybe I've been in the last description. I've been working my butt off at life, but not so much life submitted to Jesus. I've been struggling trying to deal with the issues, but not so much Jesus first in everything. Not so much living by His Word. So Lord, let us repent. Let's turn to you again. Begin to think about everything in our lives in the light of who you are. Maybe the things that scare us the most are the things that need to be most submitted. Maybe the things that make us feel weakest. For this minute, to show us how strong we could be. leave this place with absolute certainty that everybody heard and everybody was listening and everybody was willing to advance to that next place to reach into the Jesus, to proceed down the road of sanctification and begin with salvation that you saved. If we reach into this in Jesus, and in the process, and in the choices along the way, and in the being willing to sacrifice and submit, that we might all find us that you made us to be. And live our abundant lives in honor of the one who gave them to us. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. If you're here today and you've either accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior uh, today or recently, you need to make a decision public. This is your time to do so as we sing this song. If you're here today and you say, I am a follower of Jesus, but I've been a relaxed Christian and you've repented of that today, and you're going to begin applying yourself the best you know how, just the best you know how, is all you ask for, to follow him and his teachings, then you come today and let make that decision publicly known so we can pray for you. Okay? If there's something else, this needs to, I need this to be my home church, or I'm just standing in need of prayer, or I need uh, baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, or uh, I've been called to do a certain ministry, and I need to let myself do that. Stop holding back. Whatever it might be, when you come during this time of decision, would you stand with us if you're comfortable and able to do so as we sing this song? No pressure, but if you are comfortable able to do so, would you stand with us and sing this song? And then respond if the Lord leads you to do so. Not about what I would say, not about what you would say, but what would he say?
share with me up here in a summary, because we obviously tell we talked a little bit, but my brother Tony comes today, uh, brother Tony's a professing Christian, baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, and would have this be his home church, so that's a huge plus, because we would love that, um, at the same time, he is in a difficult situation, he is married, and has three children, and his family uh, has not even begun to consider this as a possibility for a home church yet, so he's got to work through that and see how that all comes about, and um, however... He has a very strong testimony, and we're going to let him share it right this second because we're long in the hour. But I would encourage you to hear what he has to say. And if, if, if you don't get a chance to do it individually, know that eventually we will give him the opportunity to share um, his journey in that he left New Heights, because he had been with us for a while previously over on Main Street years ago. He left New Heights, and God was calling him to a new church, but he chose the wrong church and wound up in a form of relaxed fit Christianity. Um, that led him to a place where he was pretty far from God. And so he's repented and, and confessed to the Lord today and asked God to cleanse him of all righteousness, and I'm confident that God has done that. And I declare you forgiven, brother. And if you have slighted us in any way ever, I declare you forgiven. We, we hold no grudges. Uh, I don't believe that's true, but if it were, we declare you forgiven. And, um, and then we just we pray for wisdom and discernment as he decides to, as he deals with his family, and hopefully we get them to do what he believes God would have him to do. Ricky comes today basically just saying that uh, he's been working harder uh, at a lot of um, relaxed fit Christianity, if you will, or, or staying saved and doing a lot of other things rather than uh, you know, been working at following God. If I gave him the wrong correction. Um, and so he repented and committed his life today so he lives in earnest for the Lord. And the thing that I see in him, that I pronounce in him, and there may be more, I see his giftedness and his ability and his ability to talk to people and his ability to do something that uh, few other people can do. Um, and he has to use that for God rather than for worldly things. And so that's a challenge. And we get into that because, like, you know a lot of people. Maybe you know a lot of people. When we get into Christianity, you start realizing a lot of those people are bad influences. They're not really good influences. So then you have to find a way for you to be in the minority and influence them and move in the right direction. And sometimes it's just easier to either break off those relationships, which is, which is not really healthy to do that either, unless they really are, you know, dangerous, um, or to just be quiet, or to say the same things that you used to say and not be changed. And so we need to find a way to, uh, to manage that. We don't want to become solo Christians by any, or, or, or we don't want to be in a place where we only know the people of the church, right? So we have to be in the world and know people and talk to people and then just move in the direction of God. 
Maybe you're here today and you would share a quick word about some decisions you made. You don't have to come forward or whatever you want to do. If there's something on your heart that you would want to say. Is there anyone who, here who would say, this, right where you are, we're not going to ask for a testimony, we would boldly say, I'm not sure before, I, before today I wouldn't be able to say for sure that I am a Christian, but I now understand that I didn't vote myself to follow the Lord, and I am willing to do that in earnest right now. And if so, would you just raise your hand where you are if you would say that? One hand, two, anyone else? God help us as we devote ourselves to following you in all that we are, and uh, you set us free. You show us what that really looks like. In Jesus' name. Right here today, you would say, I am a Christian, I've known Jesus, uh, but I've sort of divorced Christianity from that hard work or that service or that sacrifice that I might need to do to really follow Jesus in earnest. And I'm committing myself today. Jesus wants to take me through that tough spot or he wants to give me a hard job to do or he wants me to make a major change in my life, then I'm ready for that. And if that's you, would you just raise your hand right now so I can pray a blessing over you? One, two, three, any others? Four, any others? God in heaven, please bless those who have their hand raised now. Give them the commitment, the strength, the faithfulness. We understand that your word is wisdom. We also understand that it's about wisdom applied to truly be free. And then to truly be free on into the kingdom, on into heaven, is about wisdom applied indefinitely, ongoing. That we can learn a little bit, grow a little bit, and build a little bit every day, becoming more and more like Jesus. That's what we desire. He's transforming us, and we recognize that, and we're pleading with you for your help. And then I'll pray this prayer as we depart. God go with us. Bless the cake that we're about to eat. We know it's not good for us per se, but the fellowship is good for us and the cake will taste great, I'm sure. And we ask you to bless that uh, as some form of nourishment for us. And then Lord, as we go about the rest of our day, that we would go out and be the church, we would go out and serve and love and live. Let mercy and kindness be near and dear to our hearts and always, Lord, looking for those who may help. Don't let anybody drop something near us without a thought about how we might help them to get that thing back into their possession. Silly as that seems. Don't let us approach a door at the same time as somebody else without a thought that we might open the door for them instead of going through first. Lord, don't let anybody around us say something that is either meant to be hurtful or that shows that they are hurt without us having a thought that we could encourage them, lift them up, show them a better way. Lord, all the conversations and all the actions that go on around us, we just ask you, Lord, to, to help us in our redefinition, in our rebirth, in our following of Jesus, to do the best that we can to make the world the best possible place it can be. And I know it's a messed up place. It is not that place, that, the same place that you pronounced was good at creation because of the fall of man and effectively the fall of the world. And so, Lord, we have an opportunity for as long as we're here to make it the best we can. We're asking you to help us do that. For the one who might be here and still struggling with some concepts, still debating with themselves whether they have made it a little too easy to be a follower of Jesus, or still debating with themselves whether they want to come out of the darkness, out of their difficulty, uh, or I should say out of their comfort, into this kind of difficulty. Because the reality is, uh, it was really clear in Jesus' day that there was a risk of being crucified for Jesus. In our day, not so much. We're Bibles called the dollar. The dollar pays sometimes to get for free. And people are not talk about Jesus too much wherever they go. But following you can be dangerous, and we want to be that kind of dangerous, and we praise you for that in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said, Amen. thank you very much. Go eat some cake if you are willing and able to do so, share a little fellowship, and then uh, go out into the world and tell them about Jesus.